glad that you're here. And I think as, as Lyle was praying there, that tonight would be a night where we just allow God to lean into our hearts. And whether you've been here for 30 minutes or you've been coming for uh, 30 years, that would be way too long because we haven't been around 30 years. But really glad that you're here tonight. And, and uh, as we start, I want to talk about something that we all know. This is a hammer. Well done, class. Well done. Uh, this is a hammer. And if you, I don't use this much around the house, maybe to hang a picture here or there or shelf if we want it to be crooked. Um, and I don't use it a lot. But how many of you have been down to Mexico, either with Pantano or with Casas or maybe another church? You built some homes down in Mexico. I know many of you have. And here's what I remember about going down there. Literally, we build a tough shed um, which becomes a house, which is a huge house down where in the region that we're, we're working in. And we build everything through more Ministries. Everything's by hand. And so literally, there are just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of nails that have to be hammered. And what you, you find is, you ever find yourself in a rhythm if you've had to hammer many nails? There's the, you know, the couple taps that get it started, and then you're just a couple blows, and there's one last blow. And what are you trying to do? Drive home the nail, right? Well, I want you to kind of keep that in mind as we go through Romans chapter 8 tonight. We've been looking at this uh, the last few weeks here and this notion that I think what Paul is getting to here is he's trying to drive something home. He's been trying to, to say many different things, but in this last part of Romans chapter 8, we've been looking at this idea that this is kind of God's high five in a, in a way. He's saying, here, here's five things that I want you to build your life on because so much of our life gets built around our identity can get formulated by our activity, by the things we do or the occupation I have that becomes your identity. And what we realized is that's always going to be an influence, but that's a lousy foundation for your identity. Because when, when something happens, you lose your job or you change, you got to move and all that kind of stuff, well, then your whole identity gets shaken by that. If you've built everything around your simple activity and your activity is who you've become. And the truth is what the Bible is saying here in Romans chapter 8 is these scriptures are saying, hey, here's some things to build your identity on. And we started this whole journey with this notion that there's been this great exchange made, that God initiated it, and he said, look, you, you got this you know, rough baloney sandwich in life and you're, you're broken and you've got this humanity issue and you've got this rebellion in you, but I tell you what, I'm gonna come and actually exchange real true life with you. I'll, I'll, st I'll take the initiative to do that and that's why we celebrate and look to Jesus because he's the one that did that and through his life and his death and his resurrection, he made that possible, this exchange that I could go from death to life, and, and that's kind of this journey we've been on and looking at this notion of this foundation that we're building. And the question I want us to wrestle with tonight comes out of the last part of Romans chapter eight, and it's in this verse. I want you to look at this. Romans chapter eight, it's in verse uh, 30, 35. Here's what Paul asks. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now that seems like a real simple question off the top. And I know if you've been around church for a while, and some of you haven't, and I think it's awesome that you're here, and I, and I hope that tonight you're able to take maybe one next step in this spiritual journey that you're on, because I believe God wants to meet you, and that he's already being at work behind the scenes of your life, and, and this question is maybe bigger than it reads in just a simple sentence. Because we live in a culture that is always pulling things apart, 
We live in a, in a, in a society in that, that just tries to, to pull and there's oppositions that come and there's circumstances we have to go through and there's things that, that seem to always kind of come into play and begin to pull apart and, and, and Paul's asking this question. In fact, really he's asking eight questions. If you just read from verses 31 through 35, 36, he's asking eight different questions and they're rhetorical questions. Anyone know what a rhetorical question is? of a rhetorical question, uh, because you know what a rhetorical question is. How many of you, you've gone outside, you've left the door open, and your mom yells, were you born in a barn? Now, listen, your mom was present with you at your birth. She knows you weren't born in a barn. She's not asking that question to know, do you know the location of where you were birthed into this planet? That's not what she's trying to say. What's she trying to say? Shut the door. We don't live in a barn. Shut the door. And what Paul is saying here is he's asking these rhetorical questions. If God is for us, <laughs> then who can be against us? You know, who's going to separate you from this love of God? And so you almost kind of sense this sarcasm a little bit in his voice, this rhetorical nature to these questions. Who's going to actually separate you? Can anything really separate you from this love of God that's been lavished on you? And maybe that seems like a really simple question, but I think the whole point of Romans chapter 8 is that question. I think that's what Paul's driving to through this whole section. He's got many different things to say, and I'll kind of recap uh, quickly here in a few minutes what we've been looking at, but I, I think it's really all driving home. It's like that last final blow on that nail. He's driving home around this question because the truth is, in the way that we understand love and the way that we experience love, the way that we sense and understand and, and see it on display around us, I think maybe that question has more to do with our perception because what we, we tend to see is that love does separate. Don't we see that in our culture? We tend to see the examples of love around us and, and, and not everything works out all the time. And maybe that question haunts us a little bit more than we wanna let on because we know this reality. Maybe we have this nagging feeling in the back of our mind is, can, can I lose God's love? Can I misplace it? Can I mistreat his love in a way that I end up forfeiting his love? And I think those are valid questions because my hunch is if it was just you and me at Starbucks and we could just be honest, my hunch is you probably wrestled with the kind of question like that. Can, can I really lose it? Is there, is there a line that I can go up to and maybe I do one more rebellious thing or one more thing that kind of just gives God the, oh, and it's over. Because isn't that part of the examples we see in the world in which we live? That maybe there's an expiration date to love. Maybe there's a, a line that can be crossed that things change. And maybe there's a breaking point. Because if we're honest, we see it. And I think that's why we wrestle with this. We see it in a husband and wife who their love hits some rocky parts and they just decide to call it quits. Or 
Or, or one says, you know, your love really isn't fulfilling my needs, and so they look to greener pastures, so to speak, and the whole trust that they've built for years is just demolished in a moment. Haven't you seen that? And it doesn't mean that God's not in that and he can bring and put pieces back together, but I think some of the examples we see of love, it's the parent who, who gives up on their kid and says, I'm just done, I'm done with this struggle, I'm done with being uh, walked on, and I'm, I'm just tired of trying to help over and over, and all of a sudden that child begins to see, well, maybe there is an expiration date to love. There's this love of a coach or a teacher that says, hey, you're a great student, you're a great ball player, but once your performance starts to fade a little bit, all of a sudden you're riding the bench, or you're in the back of the class, and you've got extra work to do, and you're no longer in the favor of people. And sometimes we begin to view love that way. Maybe it's, it's the love of a friend that you thought was so close, and all of a sudden their love fades. And what you thought was gonna last a lifetime and just this connection that you had suddenly just rides off into the sunset. And you're kinda like, Where, whoa, where'd love go? My hunch is you've been around that somewhat, or you've seen it on display. And maybe there's some questions. We know those examples and many, many others that you can think of, that I can think of. So can anything ever separate us from the love of God? Maybe that's actually a more profound question. Rhetorical in nature, maybe. But maybe there's a lot more profoundness to that. So <clears throat> I want to answer that question tonight. And I want to begin to, to get at that, but first I want to do a little quick rewind. And uh, if you're new uh, to Element City Church, like I said, I think it's awesome that you're here. And what you've missed, maybe the last few weeks, I encourage you, you can, look, you can watch online or get caught up with that if, if you ever miss a week or so. But um, we've been looking at this reality that, that Paul's kind of saying there's five key words that, that redefine your identity of who you are as a follower of Jesus. And if you're not there yet, you say, hey, okay, I'm, I'm investigating this Jesus guy. I think it's awesome, and keep investigating. But, but keep an open mind and an open heart because what Paul's saying is as you have surrendered your life to Christ and you've made this great exchange, there's a new identity. Remember we looked at the first week? That you are freed. You don't live under this condemnation anymore. Now, consequences are a part of life, right? We know that. You make choices, you face consequences, but you don't have to live under this condemnation of this guilt and shame. It doesn't, that remember your past can humble you, but it doesn't have to haunt you. It doesn't define you any longer. That's the grace of Christ to set you free. Remember his very first verse in Romans 8, therefore there is, there is no condemnation anymore for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to live under that. You live empowered. Remember, he talked about this, the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit of God is living in you as a follower of Jesus, and it's no longer just you versus the world. It's you and God, and you're on his team. And he's pouring power for you to face your Mondays, which are tough days, and to face your Wednesdays and your Thursdays and your Saturday afternoons. That he's empowering you as you stay connected to him. It's not just about your energy and your effort anymore. And the empowered life is far greater than the exhausted life of just trying to do everything on your own effort and your own energy. And you're adopted, remember? We talked about this notion that we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. The creator of the heavens and the earth has brought you in and you are no longer defined by abandonment. You're no longer an orphan in this world spiritually. 
or physically. You are adopted. You're brought into this family. The church is to be the family of God where people can be known and people can take steps in their new identity and begin to live out this faith in real ways and ask real questions and struggle with real doubts and begin to find some real discoveries. And so it's that we've been adopted. It's no longer who threw you out. It's, it's who saw you, who picked you up, and who brought you in. And so Paul's saying you're adopted. You're brought into the family of God, and you're transformed. That's what we looked at last week. That these struggles that we go through, the adversity and challenges that we face, we all face them. And that sometimes, whether it was a choice done to you, and you don't like that choice, and it wasn't even a good choice, and it wasn't the right choice, and it shouldn't have happened, but in the brokenness of our world, it did. That even in that, God's at work behind the scenes. And that he's doing, he's at work, and he works all things for good. Doesn't mean it was good. It just means that God's at work behind the scenes. And he's trying to form you to be more and more who you were created and called to be, who you were saved to be. And so God's at work in all these things. And tonight, I want to look at this, this fifth word, which is, if you haven't figured it out, loved. You are loved. And that is an easy concept, maybe a word to throw out. It's something that we can toss out there, but sometimes we struggle with this. I mean, no other four-letter word has caused so much trouble or been so beneficial to relationships. It's amazing, and it's healing, and it's so helpful when it's running right and when you sense that, but how quickly when it fades or when it falters, the damage can be ensued, right? And this word is so interesting. It's so challenging to us. And Paul's saying, can anything ever separate us from this love of Christ? It's a question I think each of us have to wrestle with. Love in our culture is an interesting thing. We write songs about it, right? In fact, turn to your neighbor. You have 12 seconds to think of two love songs that you know, okay? You have 12 seconds, on your mark, get set, go. What's a love song that you know? <clears throat> All right. Five, four, three, two, one, talking, 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 done. All right. Anyone say Selena Gomez? Please, please tell me you did not say, I love you like a love song, baby. Please, please. Okay. We have a support group. We have a Selena Gomez support group, I know. Um, what other love songs have you heard? Someone just tell me a couple. Any Tina Turner fans? Come on. Thank you. What love's got to do with it? That's an oldie, not a goodie. It's just an oldie. So... Other love song? Eddie Perry? Barry White songs. I think with my allergies, I could... No, I'm not going to try. <laughs> you know, we, we write songs about love. We try to capture it in poetry. We try to capture it in a picture. We try to freeze frame love because we know love is, is fading a lot of times in our culture. Sometimes we see really cool images of love and it's, it's strong and it's real, it's pure. And other times we see really twisted views of love, don't we? And we're surrounded by the whole mixture of that in our culture. 
and love becomes difficult to define and challenging to kind of get our arms around at times. Uh, I was uh, on Instagram this week just because all the cool kids do that, and um, I saw a KFC picture that, uh, do we have that one? I just, I thought the caption of this was amazing. Nothing says I love you more than letting someone else have your last piece of chicken. (laughs) And I remember reading that a couple times, and I said, really? (laughs) Nothing in this world says I love you more. I mean, why don't we have proposals like that then? (laughs) Someone getting down on the knee in the beach, and they're pulling out a bucket of KFC, and they say, honey, will you marry me? I saved my last piece of chicken. Nobody would do that. And if you ever try that, please videotape that because I would love to know how that went down. <clears throat> and I've got an extra couch if you need to crash somewhere. Um, nothing says I love you like giving away your last piece of chicken. What? Do you understand like the advertising world we live in? I mean, just think about it. This week, here's, here's my challenge to you. This week, as you go throughout your week, just listen to how people use the word love. Like when you hear it, you're probably gonna go out to eat somewhere, they're like, I love this taco. (laughs) You're gonna say it probably. I say it. Do I really love a taco? El Guero, maybe. Um, But you you think about it. You know, when I I do marriage counseling, I, I often ask, or right before someone's gonna get married type thing, and I'll ask, do you, do you love this guy? Do you love this girl? Do you, do you love them? And sometimes they stumble over their words in response to that because they don't know how to capture that. They don't know how to, to articulate that maybe because it's, it's deep. It's more than just a description type thing. It's, it's more than that. Sometimes they're very eloquent and it's descriptive deep. And here's what you know to be true. You know love when you see it, Right? And yet, we live in a culture where we use this word love to love everything from a taco to my wife. And there probably should be a difference. And so do you see how confusing sometimes this word can be? And Paul's asking, can, everything, can anything ever separate you from this love of God? Can anything ever pull you away? See, when Paul's writing, and many of you probably have heard this before, when Paul's writing in the Greek language, is how the New Testament is mostly written, and in Greek, literally, there's several words for the word love. In English, we have one word, love. That's why I can love a taco, and I can love my wife, or I can love my country, and there should be variance of degrees in those things. But in Greek, literally, there's these different terms. Eros is this romantic love, a love based on emotion. Love that stirs within you, has a physical reaction to it. You have phileo. Phileo is this family member, close friend or, or, or kin, this, this bond that we have where we're like blood brothers or we're, we're family, we talk about, right? I love you like family. That's different than eros. And then we have this other word called agape. And if you're new to church, then, then and I want you to hear this, agape the only time you see it in Scripture is defined of God's love for you. When you read about God's love for you, what Paul's writing here is, can anything ever separate you from the agape of God? 
And agape simply means this unconditional kind of love, this, this love that doesn't come with conditions to it, this love that expects nothing in return. That is a deep kind of love. And friends, that's, that's different than loving a taco. I expect a return when I bite a taco. And see, agape love says, no, I, I love you no matter what. You don't even have to love me back, and I'll love you. And see, we live in the land of, of Hallmark, right? I love you because, and every card you get has that because to it. I love you because you pick up my laundry. I love you because you take good care of me. I love you because, and we add the, that little qualifier on it, we begin to, to try to define it a little bit more. And Agape says, I just love you because. And there is no qualifier after that. There's no dot, dot, dot. I just love you because. Remember when you were a kid and your parents would say, just do that. Why? Because. <laughs> and you had, no, you had no return serve for that. There really is. It's the ultimate parent trick word. Just do it because I said so. Right? In, in a lot of ways, that's what Paul's driving home. He's saying, look, God loves you just because. In fact, the purest form of love is it, it just says so. It just is. I just love you because. And see, we can try to define love, but let's be honest, that's just a definition, right? And sometimes that doesn't stir the heart emotionally because it's just a definition. We could sometimes try to capture love in a movie, right? In a story. And there's probably many stories. Think of the notebook. Gag. Um, the notebook tries to capture love. It's an awesome story. Good for you. Um, but sometimes even that falls short of, of what true agape, divine kind of love is. See, Jesus tells the story one day, and people are asking him, hey, what's, what's God really like? And we know from the scriptures that, that Jesus is God in a bod. We know that. And he tells the story. You want to know what the heart of the father is really like? It's like this dad. And he has these two sons, right? And one of them says, dad, I am so sick and tired of being at your house. I'm tired of living under your rules. And I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. And the father says, doesn't kick him out of the house. This father does something incredible. He says, Okay, and he gives him his inheritance. And this son runs off and lives this fast life, right? And when the money runs out, suddenly all these so-called friends run away. And then he's at the broken point and he's doing this dead-end job that is a dead-end job before he had a dead-end job. And he's in the pits. And life is all crumbled in around him. And he comes to his senses. He says, you know what? My dad has some gardener positions. My dad has this stable. Maybe I can go back and get a job there. And so he makes his way home, and he's got this speech rehearsed in his, in his mind of what he's going to say. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Just hire me on as a gardener because I'm tired of living with the pigs, and I'm tired of living in the, the dead-end job I've got, and there's no hope for me there. So would you just hire me on as an attendant in your house or, or a butler or something? And before he can even say this speech, while he's still a long way off and over the horizon, this father, Jesus says, sees him. And he runs to him. Now what's fascinating when Jesus is telling this story in the first century is you know what people would have thought? 
people would have thought, yeah, maybe the, maybe the dad would notice him coming over the horizon. But here's what they would be thinking. Boy, is he going to get it? Wow, is he going to get nailed by this dad? How dare him wish his dad dead? How rude is that? And this dad runs and he embraces his son and he brings new clothes and the best sweet tea you've ever had. And he says to his son, you are home. You once were lost, but now you're found. And he welcomes him home and he throws a party. Crazy. And do you know what the hearers of that story would have done and felt in that moment? They would have been like, what? Are you kidding me? That's love? No, 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 no. You wish your dad dead and you're going to get the lecture and you're going to get the wag of the finger and you're going to get rejection and the whole city, the whole town is going to come out and watch you be rejected and seeing you cast off into the shadow lands because that's what you deserve. And Jesus says, you, know, you, want, to know, you want to know what God's like? He's like, he's like that. That's love. No expectation in return. And so Jesus tells a story that had to be incredibly shocking for people. Love, well, I, I just love you because. Because I do. And, and you can't lose it. You can't forfeit it. You can't get to a place where you break it. It doesn't have an expiration date. What Paul is saying over and over in these questions and these statements that he's making. Love, well, it's it just love. I love what... Um, Brennan Manning said this, one of, my, one of my favorite authors, he said this, God loves you as you are, not as you should be. Let that sink into your heart a little bit. Because in our culture, we love people on, on their merit. We love people on their potential, don't we? And Brennan's saying, no, no, you wanna know what God's love's like? He just loves you because. Not because you're going to be something someday, just, just because. Because he said so. He just loves you. Friends, you are undeniably, incurably, incredibly, unbelievably, impressively, unlimitedly, uncommonly, genuinely, irrevocably, wonderfully, creatively, consistently, beautifully, unbreakably, unmistakably, persistently, and invincibly loved by God, period. The sentence ended. You are loved. Can anything ever separate you from that love? I'm gonna tell you Paul's answer. No. You are unlimitedly, irrevocably, invincibly loved by the creator of this universe. And you matter to him. So can I reread through some of these verses? Because I think sometimes we can go through these verses and we're looking at verse 35, but I want to start in verse 31. Here's what he says. What then shall we say? To everything we've been reading in Romans chapter eight, all these last four weeks, everything we've been looking at, now Paul's driving home the nail. He's saying, here's the point. Here's the finishing touch on this. And everything we've talked about, what shall we say then to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you ever have an overprotective mom? That was my mom. And how dare you 
mess with me because my overprotective mom would be on you like glue, right? Anyone have a mom like that? Seriously, how awesome is that? That when someone's picking out, it's, it's probably not cool in college, but like in, in elementary school times, if someone's messing with you, you're like, ooh, you're going to get in. My mama coming. And mama bear would come out and would say, uh, uh, you go get your mama, because I'm gonna have a little talk with her mama. And, and you'd feel, you know what? When someone is for you like that, well, who's gonna be against you? You don't mess with people's mama. We know that. So when God is for you, who's gonna be against you? He's asking this rhetorical question. Were you born in a barn? <laughs> who's gonna be against you? When God is for you, who's gonna be against you? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? See, if you're a Jew, and you're hearing this, vo this verse read, you know what you instantly think of? Abraham. You instantly think of Abraham and how he was willing to sacrifice and give up Isaac, his only son. And God stops him in the nick of time. And he, he brings this, this ram caught in this thicket and he says, no, no, I know your heart, Abraham. You were willing to give up everything. And so now I'm bringing a replacement. God's love is like that. He gives up everything for you and for me. How he will not give us anything that we need. And that's not prosperity gospel. That's not saying pray a prayer and you'll, God will write you a check. That's just simply saying God's in your corner and he's for you, and he's gonna be at work in your life. Verse 33, Who will bring any charge against us, though, uh, those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Well, it's Christ Jesus that can condemn. He's the only one that could do it, and what did he do? Well, he died, and more than that, he was raised to life and he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us now. Paul says four things about Jesus. He died for you. He was resurrected to prove God's love for you. He ascended back to the Father, and you know what he's doing right now? Friend, he prays for you. What? The creator of this universe, listen, prays for you. That is an amazing love. I don't deserve that. I get it, just because, why? Because God said so. Love in its purest form is just because. Whom shall separate me from the love of Christ, Paul asked. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? And his answer, no. In all of those things, and all that opposition, and all those struggles, and all those challenges that we face, there's nothing that can come against you that would ever put an expiration date or a disqualifier on God's love for you. He loves you, friend. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved us. Now watch this. The word loved right there at the very end is put in the past tense. Often in scripture you'll read that God loves, right? So present tense, current, 
ongoing. Here, Paul makes a great point, and he says, you are loved, past tense. Why? It's almost like Paul's pointing back to something, and he wants us to get it. And he says, you know how you know you're loved? Because something happened. He's pointing to a specific event. What might that be? Might that be the fact that the creator of the heavens and the earth came to this planet as Jesus Christ and hung on a cross for your brokenness and your rebellion and mine too and said, I love you. And nothing, nothing, nothing can prove that more. What did Jesus say? He said these amazing words. No greater love has anyone than this, that he lay down his life for his what? Friends. That Jesus said, you're my friend. And I laid down my life. I, Paul's saying he loved you. He's pointing to an event that proves it once and for all. You are loved. And there is nothing that can pull you away. Here's the thought I want you to, to kind of resonate, wrestle with this week. <clears throat> we can either race around trying to do things to hold on to God's love, or we can learn to rest in his love as he holds on to us. Friend, you are loved. And you can either spend your energy trying to race around, trying to, to figure out some way to hold on to that love that God lavished on you through Jesus, and you can say, well, if I don't do enough good things, then I'm gonna lose it. It's gonna have an expiration date. And Paul's trying to say, no, 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 just rest. Just stop. You are loved. What can separate you from that? Nothing. Absolutely zip. And our world likes to say, no, the examples of love we see has an expiration date. It has a shelf life. And God's saying, no, not my love. I agape you. And you can rest in that love. And so here's how I want uh, just to end our evening, our part. If you're, you're new, we're gonna um, move into a time of communion. And uh, you're welcome to participate in that if you want. And, and here's how I want that to go tonight is I'm gonna read this scripture. And here's what I want you to do is just have your eyes closed. Maybe this is a scripture you just need to have wash over you in a new, fresh way. And as these words kind of just ring out, would you let them just kind of wash over your, over your soul, over your heart, over your mind? Friend, you are loved, period. That's what Paul's driving home. And then we're gonna have a, kind of some instrumental time where you can observe communion. There's communion stations around where you just remember God's uh, body, Jesus' body, his blood given on your behalf. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're I mean, just welcome to participate in that. If, if you're not, just, just maybe use a moment to reflect and to think. And then we're gonna worship. And I want us to worship like we have never worshiped before. Why? Because we serve an amazing, amazing God. Listen, who loves you. You. Point to your friend, you. He loves you. And so, can these words just wash over you? Close your eyes and listen. Listen to what Paul's driving home. In lieu of everything we've said, he says, what then shall we say in response to all of this? If God is for you, well, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Well, Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, who was raised to life, and is at the right hand of the Father, and also intercedes for you. Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship persecution or famine, the nakedness, the struggles, the dangers, the sword of this world that seeks to destroy. No, 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 no. In all these things, you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. For I'm convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demon, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us, will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, tonight um, we lean into a concept into a word that we can put a definition to, we can capture it in a story, but yet it's, it just falls short of what it truly means, of what we need it to mean. Father, we are loved. And we remember that in the sacrifice of your son. And in these moments, as we reflect on that, and in these moments as we worship and as we put and push our heart and our mind toward you, I pray that your spirit would be released to overwhelm us again, that we are loved.